terrifying. <laughs> oh my goodness. You know, I am, uh, I've spoken to a lot of crowds over the years, uh, big crowds and small crowds. I can honestly say this is the scariest experience of my life. I, the title on your outline is What Business Taught Me About Faith in God's Promises. On my sheet here, it says, Things Rob Never Saw Himself Ever Doing. I'm a notorious over-preparer, so I think I've turned my phone on and off five times this morning already, and then I turned it on and put it on airplane mode, because I know we have donuts to look forward to, so i got to stay on track. I was having a good hair day until I went outside and saw the rain, and that was the end of that, right? Okay, so with, with the end of all the dad jokes, let me dive in. So I'm going to do a little bit of an outline on what I'm going to talk to you about today. Uh, you know, obviously the title, What Business Taught Me About God's Promises, means this is going to be a testimonial type of message. So I apologize, it's all about me, but it's really not all about me. I'm just sort of the example to use uh, to get a couple points across. Uh, the relevant part of my talk is this. I've been in business for myself for 10 years. Uh, for 32 years, uh, I've worked in and around politics uh, and more broadly, what I would call the art of persuasion, which basically means to get people to come around to your way of thinking, right? So for the organizations I work for, they all have viewpoints. It's my job to get people or legislators uh, or elected officials, public officials to come around to the way my clients think. So that's the business I'm in. Uh, the cardinal rule of the business I'm in, persuasion, is to be able to show the other person what's in it for me, right? You have, to talk, you have to show the other person why they should care about what you care about. So with regard to today, I promise you that we will get around to what's in it for you, this story about me. And if you just give me a little bit of time to lay out a little bit of background, then we'll dive right in. So a little bit of background on me. I grew up in Southwest Ohio, Dayton, Ohio. Uh, I was blessed with great parents uh, who never failed to tell me and my brother that they loved us. And I was just very blessed all the way around. I hit the lottery in the family department. Uh, I would say this, if people my age, Generation Xers in Southwest Ohio, can I get that next slide, please? If we had a mascot, it would be this guy. Right? And you're saying, hey, that's Pete Rose, right? And, and of course it is Pete Rose, but for the purpose of my talk today, it's not Pete Rose, it's Charlie Hustle. Right? So Charlie Hustle, not the biggest. This, by the way, this speech I'm giving you is what all of our coaches used to tell us when we played sports, right? Pete Rose, not the biggest, not the strongest, not the fastest, just never outworked, right? Never outhustled, and as a result, you know, great accomplishments. I grew up in that school of thinking that, you know, the trying hard is what really mattered. But then again, later on, I came up with another sage for my next mascot, if I could have the next slide, <laughs> Master Yoda. Now, I swear, my brother is, by the way, my whole family is here today. It's just, it's both scary and really gratifying to have him here in support today. But my brother's here today, this is true, on his refrigerator, is it at your new house too? On his refrigerator, the magnet says the words of Master Yoda, which is do or do not do, there is no try, right? So what's the lesson from that in my Generation X mind? 
we're judged by our accomplishments, the things we do, not just trying hard, but actually getting things done. So as Brian mentioned, I, I've, I had a great interest in politics. That's where I got my start. In 1988, I began working in the State House, and then by 1995, I got into what I wound up getting around to doing today on my own, but I worked for advocacy organizations, and I started on the bottom rung and began to work my way up, just like Charlie Hustle did, uh, you, you know, to try to do things, not just try hard, right? Now, I want to make a disclaimer before I get on to the next few parts of my remarks. God gave me a great work ethic. In all honesty, he instilled a great work ethic in my parents, and then they instilled it in me. And there's absolutely nothing wrong. There's everything commendable about having a great work ethic. But if you'll notice this introduction of mine, there are a lot of eyes. There's a lot of eyes in this story, and that's on purpose. Because over the next 17 years, beginning in 1995, I had a great run rising up through the ranks of the organization I worked, through, worked for, hitting the ground hard, working hard, and honestly, along the way, losing sight of the blessings that I had received and honestly that I owed every bit of it lock, stock, and barrel to God. Instead, I piled up accomplishments, I piled up promotions, and I piled up raises one after another, and I found that each time that I got on the next rung, I just wanted the one after that, and the one after that, and the one after that, and each one set the stage for the next one, right? Never satisfied, always reaching for what's next. And honestly, this is fairly embarrassing. I started referring to myself as basically I'm one who gets things done, right? And, I'll, and I mean, at the time, I never would have thought of myself as arrogant, but clearly that's a very arrogant attitude, right? Proverbs 16, 18 tells us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. My pursuit of brass rings intensified. I put in more hours than most anybody I knew. I became a cut-to-the-chase person, and I began to move relationships aside in terms of my professional relationship, working with people. I was always just hyper-focused on what was going to be the next, the next win. So being honest about it in business, I began to be a pretty cutthroat kind of person. And it worked. And it worked just like it did for my mascot, Charlie, uh, Charlie Hustle, right? It worked for him right up until it didn't. And then I messed up and I lost that job. After 17 years, I lost it. With my oldest son, just about, well, I, actually, he was one semester into college, right? And I had I told my kids that I would split the cost of college with them. They do their half, I'll do my half. Beth and I would pay for half. And so all of a sudden, there's, there's, there's my oldest, Robbie, in college, and I'm out of a job. And I got to thinking, how on earth am I going to do that, right? And my next one, Daniel, is about to go to college a year later, and two more just behind them. So for the very first time, I was confronted with a, real, a very real fear about letting my wife down, letting my kids down, and not being able to provide for them, which I don't know if this is just generational or just the way we are, but for men my age, being able to provide is absolutely the only thing we ever thought about, right? You, you take care of your family first. I, for the first time, I stressed about mortgage payments, tuition payments, and even more than that. And so, like so many prodigals before me, so many people who messed up before me, I turned to God. Now, to be clear, I didn't do one of those prayers asking God to do the magic wand thing. How many folks really know God doesn't very often do the magic wand thing where, hey, God, if you just make it to where this really didn't happen, I'll do it over correctly the next time. Although I hold out hope for that when I mess up next time. 
I didn't pray that kind of prayer. I just prayed this. I prayed, man, I really messed this up. I really broke everything, and I just need you to help me through it because I don't know what to do with this. And amazingly, he wanted to teach me a lesson, but it wasn't like he would have thought, right? His, his first lesson probably could have been, oh, I don't think so, Rob. You're the guy who gets things done. I think you got this. He didn't say that to me. And I would ask you this. Aren't you just grateful that God is not an I told you so? Aren't you just grateful that he doesn't just slam the door and use your own words back up against you? Instead, aren't you just grateful for his mercy? Because he showed me mercy, and mercy I clearly, obviously, by the definition, did not deserve. He didn't want to gloat. He wanted to teach me. So, if, is my slide up? Yeah, it's up there. Okay. His lesson was not be honest or be nice or be humble or be good or for at least try to be good. All those things I've certainly tried to practice over the last 10 years since I've been in business for myself, but those are the byproducts of the lesson that he wanted for me and the same thing he wants for you. So here we go, all that lead up for me to start talking about what's in it for you. His lesson for me, his message to me, and by the way, it was his lesson all along. I just decided to listen to it 10 years ago after I wrecked the truck, right? His lesson was, trust me. Trust me. Not shape up, not fly straight, not be humble, not be honest. He said, trust me. God knows, and he showed me, that the root of all human failure and sin is a fundamental lack of trust and faith in God to keep his promises. Eve did not trust that God would meet all her needs and contentment without knowing the secrets of the tree and the fruit that was on it. Cain did not trust God that he could give generously and his needs would still be met. Joseph's brothers did not trust that God loved them just as much as he loved Joseph. David did not trust that God would meet all his desires of his whole life. James and John didn't trust that Jesus valued them, so they wanted to set up their position in heaven ahead of time, right and left hand, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. None of these people in their darkest time, when they did their darkest deeds, trusted God with their happiness or their contentment or their prosperity. None of them, and neither, frankly, God was showing me had I or I'd never have developed the habits that I had in my previous business life. Whether slowly, because sometimes we do these things slowly, insidiously, whether slowly or all at once, all of these people and me had seized control over our own contentment. We're going to make it happen. We're going to be the one who decides how things go and whether or not we're happy or not. So while I was sitting there in this wreckage that, was, that I created myself, feeling the urge frankly, to get back on the ground hustling, because it's just in my DNA to be that way, God said, no, I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me with everything. Put it all on me. And at the time, honestly, what he was asking me to trust him with was not, you know, you wouldn't want to give this to somebody else. You know, I damaged the faith of my wife and had a house full of nervous kids wondering how we were going to do things. How many, of you, how many of you parents out there never want your kids to know when you're going through tough financial times, right? We shield our kids from that, right? Because they're kids. They don't need to have the weight of the adult world on them yet. And I didn't want it on mine either. And in the backdrop of all that, I was launching a brand new business. What a great launching pad to be doing that in, right? 
But here's how God taught me, and so I'm going to go through these steps with you. So step one, Mark 9, verse 35. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last, the servant of all. Same book, Mark 10, 43 and 45. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. In that same passage, Jesus said he came to serve and not to be served, which is pretty amazing. The creator of everything that has ever been came to serve and not to be served. And he was telling me that that's what he wanted from me. He wanted me to serve. God wants you to trust Him with your relationships. Now, when I use the word trust, by the way, I've been working on this message for about three weeks, and I go back to it, you know, and make little refinements here and there, here and there, and honestly, I, I wanted to leave this message aside the last couple days saying it was done, but I wrote this last part about a half an hour ago. So what's, when God says, trust me, what He's really saying is, trust me and do what I say, right? Do what I say. And so he says, when he says, whoever wants to be first needs to put themselves last, when he says he wants you to serve, it's not code. He wants you to do what he says. He wants you to serve and put the other person first. God wants you to trust him with your relationships. He can heal broken relationships. How many know that? God can heal broken relationships. Put them in his hands. If you're the person who did the hurting, you can still put him in his hands because he works miracles in relationships. If you're the person who got hurt, put it in his hands. Jesus heals. He means what he says. He keeps his promises. If you put him first, it doesn't mean everybody else is going to treat you great. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be all sunshine with everybody else. But yet, miraculously, if you put your eyes on Jesus... That's where you'll find your fulfillment. That's where you'll find your contentment. And then you'll see, you watch him do the work instead of trying to look out for yourself. Do, uh, my advice is this. You do that, you know, we're talking about my business. I do that in my workplace with the people I work with. I, I put my clients first. I give them the benefit of the doubt. But I also try to do it with my friends and I definitely try to do it with my family. And I wasn't always that way. You know, for too long, I spent a lot of time making sure, yeah, I'd take care of other people, but I'd take care of me too. I had goals. I had things I wanted to accomplish. Step two, trust God with your financial well-being. Do we trust God to meet our financial needs? Do we trust God to meet our financial needs if we're faithful in our giving? A little touchy subject. Does God care if we don't tithe? Malachi chapter 3. Those of you who know this chapter are saying, oh, no, not Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. Return to me and I will return to you. But you ask, how are we to return? God says, will a mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. And you ask, well, how am I robbing you? In tithes and offerings. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Guys, we're a Bible-believing church, and I'm not sure there are many verses that are just more crystal clear than that. 
But I'm not going to preach on tithing today. I'm just going to tell you my story. I've been a donor to churches ever since I've been going to them that I've attended my entire life. I was always fairly pleased with myself, which is not really the point, right? That's not really what God wants from me. But I was always pleased with myself because I gave, you know, all the time. But I never got close to tithing. But I felt good. I was doing the right thing, or so I thought. In later years, once Beth and I moved our family out here to Pataskala, I increased my giving, and I was super proud of myself. But I never got close to tithing. You know why? Because I just didn't have faith that God would provide if I gave all that money. I would do the math. I would sit down with the spreadsheet. Some of my kids laugh at me because I'm like super obsessed with Excel, even though I'm not that good with it. So I would lay out my budget and get to the end and be like, I don't know how I could do that. I don't know how I could do 10% plus more. I just don't know. So I didn't do it. Well, I lost my job, as we talked about. And God told me to trust him. So I figured, well, why not start here? So I did something kind of crazy. I just stopped thinking about it, and I just started doing it. I ignored an intense urge to squirrel away every dime I had. Because right then and there, I didn't know where the next dime was going to come from. So I thought, well, I'm just going to, you know, my first urge was pile it over here, pile it over here, and we'll, we'll take the waves and the storm, and when they pass, I'll get out my Excel sheet and figure it all out again. Instead, I just stopped thinking about it, and I just did it. So for the first time in my entire life, I began to tithe when I lost my job. And here's the thing. We haven't missed it. We haven't missed the money a bit. We started tithing, and I, ne- and, and, and I never missed it after that. We wound up doing our parts that we committed to for our kids' education. We actually replaced cars, one of them that had well over 200,000 miles on them. I was able to replace our heating and air conditioning system without taking out a loan. This is all over the last 10 years after having lost a job. Beth and I were able to take a really nice trip for our 25th wedding anniversary, something we'd never done in our entire lives. This is all after losing that job. I highly would encourage you to put your faith and your financial well-being in God's hands. You can trust Him. He says it in the book, right? We used to have this saying at the church I grew up in. You guys can echo it if you catch on, if you did it in your church. God said it. I believe it. And that settles it for me. Right? Anybody remember that? Now, I want to be clear. I'm not preaching prosperity here. I'm not preaching that if you do what God says, you're going to hit it rich. In fact, for some unknown reason, God has decided that I'm not going to be rich. I keep trying. I'm Charlie Hustle, right? I'm going to get up that hill and try to get to be wealthy, right? But for some reason, God's decided I, I shouldn't be rich. But he's blessed us wonderfully over the years in that we've never needed anything. He's always met our needs. He's never failed to, promise, to meet his promises. Step three, trust God with your worries. How many people here are worriers? I feel like a lot of you are lying. There's like four hands go up. <laughs> I, I am a worrier. How many, okay, you can raise your hand on this. How many people grouse about, about how smartphones have just ruined our country, right? 
I wanna, I'm going to tell you something. I'm a warrior, and, and, and my mind runs away with me. So in the pre-cell phone era, if it took Beth 30 minutes to get home from work and she was an hour late, I had painted scenarios of her horrible death 16 different ways. She's in a ditch. Somebody kidnapped her. And then it, you, those of you who are parents are going to know this. Once you have kids, that kind of stuff just explodes in your head. If, I don't know how our parents did it when they couldn't get a hold of us. I don't know how they did it when they couldn't find us or know where we were. With these smartphones, I'll give it this. I can track them down <laughs> and put my mind at ease. I'm a worrier. So I will say this. I'm just like a lot of you, I grumble about smartphones, but I thank God for smartphones for that reason. It's nice to be able to know that your loved ones are safe. Matthew chapter 3, verses 24 and through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than that? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? You know what? If I could, I would live to be like 150. That's the kind of worrier I've been in my life. I'm just a bad worrier. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the, gra clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Your heavenly Father knows you need these things. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own. Is that just not an awesome section of Scripture? Can you trust God with your worries? Unfortunately, we don't learn to trust God with our worries during good times. If you've ever wondered, why am I going through a bad time? Why does God let me go through a bad time? A lot of people ask that question. Why do you let this happen to me? Why you let this happen to my loved one? It's hard to learn to put all your trust in our Creator if you feel like you don't need Him. You learn to trust God when you need God. And I'm a slow learner. I, I, I forget that sometimes. God's objective was to get me to trust Him even in lean times. And the Scripture tells us, tells us of such a time, 1 Kings chapter 17, there had been a famine in the land and Elijah the prophet during his time, and he was told to go stay with a widow. And this is just an awesome section of Scripture that really goes toward lean times. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she said, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat and die. That's some pretty hopeless stuff. That's who he's asking for dinner from. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. 
Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord the God said, the Lord God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day of the Lord sends rain on the land. So she went away and did as Elijah told her, and there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family. And the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry until the rain came. Amen? God will provide. He's, he promised that He would provide. He promised. Do we trust His promises? In lean times. Well, 2014 was my lean time. Brand new business I started in 2012. Anybody ever started a business for yourself? You think you know what it takes to start a bit or to run a business? There was a lot I didn't know. And it turned out that I had greatly underestimated the amount of time it would take to get clients. So you lose a client, you figure, out oh, a couple months I'll get another client. It turns out client cultivation for me is like nine months to a year. I didn't know that. Learning curve was steep, and I underestimated it so greatly that 2014, my revenue dropped by 40%. I don't know about you all, but if you take a 40% pay cut, that's not superficial. That's a big hit. Throughout the entire year, 2014, I knew that we were short. Had my Excel sheet out. And the jar never ran dry. Not one time. We definitely tightened our belts. But we paid all our bills. Toward the end of that year, it took an entire year, I started gaining clients again. We never told our kids that we were suffering financially. And as I mentioned before, we had that Christmas that we always try to, you know, we try to have a nice Christmas with our kids so they wouldn't know we were having bad times. That was just the way we did things. We had a nice Christmas, and we booked our first vacation in five years. God wants you to trust Him even in your leanest times. You may have to cut back. You may have to give up some things, but He tells us he, that we can trust Him with our worries, and, he, and, and I believe He took me through that lean time to show me that, he, that I could. Step four, God wants you to trust Him with your example in the way you live your lives. What I mean is people are watching us. We all watch each other. Whether we actually will fess up or not, we all sort of judge each other. On the money front, God wants to show you what He will do with your generosity. You know, here at this church, we sent kids to youth camps. We helped to make Hope Landing a reality. We helped to get Esther's place of grace off the ground. There's so much more that can be done with generous believers, generous, faithful people. God works wonders when we trust Him, and He will work wonders in the lives of the people that we touch through those things I just mentioned and through many other ways. Luke 6.38 tells us, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap for the measure you use it will be measured to you. You know, that was a weird-sounding verse to me growing up. It actually sounded like a song to me, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It sounded like a dance. And I didn't know 
that what they were talking about is, you know, when you did trading in the marketplace in those days, they had weights and they would put so much weight in a cup to decide how much you got. That's how they made sure they were fair trading. So how many of you folks have ever bought a bag of chips and opened up the chips and you say to yourself, there's like a half a bag of chips in there, right? You feel a little ripped off. So when you do your measurements in these days, if you wanted to make sure you got what you were entitled to, they would press it down, shake it, fill it again, press it down, shake it, fill it again, and you get a full bag of chips. And that's what God's promising. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So my question is this, are these just sayings or do we really think Jesus means these things? Number one, does he really mean he wants us to do it? And number two, does he really mean that that'll be the result? By the way, the answer is yes and yes. You don't have to cut corners and scrimp on God because he will provide. How do we know he'll provide? Because he said he would. You can lay down the I'm getting mine first mentality because God assures you. And that's why I began to give first when I got paid instead of after what was left over. That's when I took that Excel sheet and put my tithes and offerings at the very top. It's the first thing I do. In the beginning, that was hard. I'm not going to say this stuff is easy. But in the beginning, I just did it. Boom. Got it out of my accounts. Never thought about it again. And that's just the way we've been doing it. But I, you know, I want to talk more than about, obviously, tithing and offering. I want to talk about your whole example. I've done business with a lot of people who cut corners with their customers. I made it my, when I started this new business 10 years ago, after having lived on the other side of this mentality, I don't cut corners with my customers. I don't cut corners with my workmates. Definitely not with my bosses or the people who have worked for me. If we have a dispute, nine times out of ten, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. Because God told me he would provide. And I trust that he meant, that he meant it when he said it. One of the areas that, you know, in people in business, we talk to other people in business all the time. One of the areas that people struggle with is the government. And specifically the IRS. I don't cut corners with them either. Now, I'll, I'll confess, it's partially because I fear them. <laughs> but it's also because I don't, I don't want that on my conscience. You know, dishonesty is insidious. Insidious is something that creeps up on you and spreads slowly like a cancer. You don't know it's there until you turn around and it's big. How many of you believe that dishonesty just gets bigger and bigger and you just get more desensitized to it until you don't even know the line that was once there is now way over there? When it comes to the IRS, I don't mess around. The Bible says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, so I do. I grumble, but I do. I give them, I give them what they're owed. As human beings, we're rationalizers. Let's be honest. We rationalize the things we do that are not right. Sometimes we even make it out like God's on board with what we did wrong. We rationalize. We justify. We're excuse makers. And it started on day one, pretty much. Remember what Adam said? Eve gave it to me. So I ate it. How'd that work out for him? 
Maybe he thought she was going to be sent packing and he would get to stay. It did not work out that way. That's why James chapter 4 verse 7 tells us to flee from the devil, to flee from temptation, get away from it. Don't even flirt with it. Because if you dance with those temptations enough to be a little bit dishonest, tell a little bit of lie, omit the truth a little bit, you get desensitized it to the point where you don't notice it anymore. And my admonition to everybody here is just don't do it. Don't do it because you'll turn around one day and you'll see the damage that it causes. It's, you know, the Bible... Some of the verses in the Bible are just not, what does Brian always say about the refrigerator uh, magnet? How many people have a magnet on their fridge that says, as you sow, that's how you'll reap? That's a hard verse. Which basically, you know, the things you do, you're going to get paid back for that. So I made up my mind when I started my own business, I wouldn't flirt with those things ever again. From a business point of view... Matthew chapter 5, verses 40 and 41 tells us, If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Don't you find the words of Jesus super challenging when he says stuff like that? I do. But I try to live by him now, right? I try to tell myself, I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt. One re- you know one awesome thing about making sure you're living on the straight and narrow when it comes to financial things. I don't have to worry about the IRS, ever. Now, I'm not saying, I, I, you know, come audit me, I'll be great, you know, I, I don't want to be audited. <laughs> you hear that? <laughs> but I don't have to worry about what I'm hiding. I don't have to worry about a deduction I took that I wasn't entitled to because that report's clean and I make sure it is. And I do that with my business partners and my clients too. But here's another reason to do it, not just for fear of the IRS, although that's a healthy fear. People see the things we do. And lots of us put our faith on display. Got that fish on the back of your bumper. But have you ever thought about this? If you give to a church or a Christian charity that the person who goes through your tax return sees it. So if your tax return says you gave X amount of money to Living Hope Church, then the person who looks at your taxes now knows that you claim to be a Christian. So if they catch you taking a deduction for your new boat, it might not reflect well upon our Lord. Have you ever thought about that? I tend not to think about it in huge issues like that because I haven't bought my boat yet with my business. (laughs) But where I really started thinking about it, by the way, you know, money can't buy you happiness, but it can buy me a boat, right? And a truck to pull it with, that's right. But in little things, right? I used to have a hot, hot temper. And, And, you know, this idea about looking out for number one, take care of yourself. If somebody wronged me, man, I used to really come at people. But if you claim to be a Christian, you got to bottle that up. Because we're supposed to reflect the way Jesus acts. And man, that's hard. It's not an easy walk, but that's what he asks of us. So whether it's on your tax filing or just the way you act with other people, you can't claim to be a believer and then flagrantly trample 
the way that he asks us to, be, to behave amongst each other. And I'm not saying he can't slip up, because if I said that, I'd be done. I mess up a lot. But the way we treat other people, it's really important. Here's a bit of a sticky one for you. God wants, you to, wants to show you that you can trust him with this nation. How many people believe that you can trust God with the United States of America? We see the things going on in this country and the consequences and pain they cause. We see a country that's increasingly hostile to believers, and it makes us mad. And too often, we're out there doing battle. We're fighting with one another. We're showing the fact that we're mad because things are going wrong. And honestly, they're going wrong. Am I wrong? We tell ourselves we're righteously angry. We're righteously angry. That, by the way, is a term that means all the stuff I do while being angry is not sinful because I'm righteously angry. And there is such a thing as being righteously angry. I just think people are awful liberal with their interpretation of what is righteous anger. God is in control. He's in control right now of this entire world, and He's in control of the United States. His Scripture tells us He puts rulers on the throne. Even the ones we don't like, He put them there. Here's a story that I think really applies. Jesus told His disciples that He would be imprisoned, beaten, and killed. One of his closest apostles, Peter, told him, Peter said, I will never let that happen to you. Jesus' response, get behind me, Satan. So, you know, Peter's saying to himself, oh, I'm trying to protect you. You know, you say you're going to get killed. I'm saying, nope, I'm not going to let that happen to you, boss. Jesus replied, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because Peter was trying to stop God's plan, his ultimate plan, which obviously greatly benefited us. The Scripture tells us what's happening in our world. It's in the Bible. Good will be seen as bad. Bad will be seen as good. People will become lovers of themselves. Is that stuff happening right now? Did he write about it in the book? You're not getting in the way of that. You're not getting in the way of that. It's not going to change. The Bible says it's so. Do we believe what he says actually comes true? So much like Peter, I hate to tell you this, we're not going to change this trend by fighting with other people and acting ugly about it. It's not going to accomplish anything. In fact, it's counterproductive to what we're really supposed to be working on. Our job is to show others the love of Christ. It's really hard to show the love of Christ with your teeth clenched. You need to know Jesus. It's like Clint Eastwood, right? You need to know Jesus. If you don't concentrate on what your job is during these times, this is hardcore. You're not doing the Father's work. You're doing someone else's. That's harsh, but true. We need to be about the Father's work. Our job is to reach people for Jesus. Our job is to show people what it means and what it meant to you as a believer. What's the most basic and essential thing you've ever received? What's the best thing you ever received in your whole life? That's this, I'll just answer that. You don't have to. Mercy. 
If we got what we deserved, where would we be? We'd be condemned. All, all have fallen short. None of us would be here if not for miraculous mercy shown to us by our Creator. I've been given truckloads of mercy. Mercy from God, mercy from my wife, mercy from my family, mercy from friends. When I lost my job, I had friends come forward and offer me jobs. It was wonderful. Jesus extended mercy to the woman who was about to be stoned by the mob. By all accounts, if you read that story, she was in the wrong says she was the adulterer, and by their law, they stoned adulterers. But that's what, it did. that's what they were about to do to her, and he showed her mercy. Jesus extended mercy to the woman at the well. He extended mercy to his disciples who failed him again and again and again. He extended mercy to the thief on the cross. Here's one, if you guys, I'm sure you all know this. He extended mercy to the people who were nailing him to the cross. He extended mercy to Pontius Pilate, to everybody who committed terrible atrocities against him, and he, he shows us mercy. And he wants you to show mercy. That's what we're to do in the face of what's going on in this world. We're supposed to show people the love of Jesus. People need to know Jesus. What's the antidote? It's Jesus. Matthew 9 tells us, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy. Not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call the sinners. This has taught me to show a lot of mercy in my business life. I said before I, I give the benefit of the doubt. Many times in my life I've worked with people and there's discussion about, you know, so-and-so's got to go. You know, we got to let this person go. They're not doing their job, whatever. got to let them go. I've always been a, a giver of second chances. It's just in my heart not to just drop somebody the first time they make a mistake. I can't do it. I've been counseled before, you know, if we don't do it now. There's a saying, fire fast, hire slow. It's a business saying. I can't do it. I'm a big giver of second chances. And, and I'll be counseled, yet yeah, it's going to come back and bite you. We're going to wind up letting that person go anyway. I'd rather be the guy that gave him a second chance. Because I've been given many more than second chances. And sometimes it pays off. And it really feels good when you give somebody the same mercy that you were extended and it works out. Maybe it doesn't work out financially. Maybe that person still winds up not doing what they're supposed to be doing. But in your heart, there's a sense of fulfillment when you extend mercy. You can trust God with your mercy that he will fulfill you when you do what he says. So I'm getting to the close now. Let's go to that next slide, please. God wants you to trust him. For 10 years, I've been in business. I've been in a lot of ups and a lot of downs. But God has always provided for our family. 
I'm still very much a work in progress, so I've said a lot of things pretty strongly about the things we ought to do, and I, I just want to tell you from, in all sincerity, these are things that I have to work on all the time. It's really easy to fall back in the rut if I'm going to take care of me. But God wants you to trust Him. And I will tell you this, the last 10 years have been the most, the highest level of fulfillment and contentment of my entire life because He meant what He said and He kept His promises and He's still keeping His promises. God wanted me to know deep down, He wanted me to know that I can trust Him with everything my mistakes, my money, my relationships, with my family, with my colleagues, with my friends, with my worries. He wanted me to know that I could trust him with everything. Not that, he, that I could, but that he was saying, do it, right? You know, that's actually a command. It's really not a request. He wants that for each and every one of us. He wants that for each and every one of you. If you're a believer today, he, Jesus wants you to know that you can trust him. Could I get the worship team up here, please? If you're a believer in Jesus today, he wants you to know that you can lay everything on him. Every problem you've got going, every heartache you have. You can give it to him because he is a great restorer and a great redeemer. Matthew chapter 11, this is such a beautiful set of verses here, 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Is it amazing to you that the creator of the entire world is humble? Would you be humble if you created everything that ever was? I probably wouldn't be, just being honest. I'd probably be pretty impressed with myself. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's a beautiful verse. If you believe in Jesus as your Savior, you can put those burdens on Him, and He will keep His promises. But if you're here and you don't know Jesus, He wants you to know that you can trust Him. Could I get the prayer ministry team up here, please? Let's get some members of our prayer team up here. If you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, He wants you to know that you can trust Him. He wants you to know that He has a plan for you and a relationship for you and that all you have to do is say yes. All you have to do is come to Him and lay it all at His feet. Like my prayer 10 years ago, man, I messed it all up. I messed it all up and I want you to have it. You can trust him because he's the only thing on this entire earth that is 100%. Do you struggle with how to heal broken relationships? Do you struggle with people that have hurt you? You can give that to Jesus right now. You can lay it at his feet and pray. It's not magic. It's not poof gone in most cases, right? Oh, I believe in miracles. 
but it's not like, it's not like bewitched. I'm dating myself. Do you find it hard to show God's love to the world, the world at large right now? Give that to Jesus and ask him how he would have you act. Ask him how he, what image he wants you to put forward. Do you struggle to trust God with your financial well-being? Are you worried right now in the world? There's a lot of reasons to think financial times are going in the wrong direction. You can pray to him about it. And my biggest one, do you, do you trust God to handle your worries? He'll set you free. If you know Jesus and these are things that are problems for you, we've got people up here who will pray with you right now. You know that list of things I was saying that God says do it, even though it acts, it, it acts like a suggestion? He tells us to pray. He tells us to pray with each other. He, he says to lay your burdens on each other. So I highly recommend if you have these issues, come up here and get prayer. Let these people talk to you. And if you don't know Jesus, you can pray with one of these people to get to know him for the first time. If you're not ready to do that, you don't have to come up there and make that move right now. If you just want to talk to somebody about what it means, these people will pray with you right now. If you feel that pull, and you don't come out of that seat and come up here and get prayer because that's scary. You can grab any of these people right after and they'll still pray for you. He just wants you to trust him. So why don't you come and get prayer? 